0: I wanna follow up the Easter sermon. Most preachers, when they preach an Easter sermon, feel like they gotta hit a walk-off home run. You know what that is? That's when you know, the, the game's tied at the end of the game and, and somebody comes up and they hit a home run and then he they, they wins the game and they just walk off, you know? And so most preachers have that in their mind for Easter, you know, I gotta hit a home run uh, and, that'll, and then we begin again next week. That wasn't the character of Easter. Easter wasn't the end of something, it was the beginning of something. It was the inauguration of something. And so remember when I told you the rest of the story, that Easter isn't just about what happened on Easter morning, about breaking the chains of death, although it was certainly about Easter morning. But Easter was also about Easter evening When Jesus came back, you remember that passage. His disciples were huddled for fear in a room, and Jesus somehow entered that room, and he bestowed his peace on them. And then it says in John chapter 20, verse 22, and with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now this is significant. Because what he was doing is he was depositing in his disciples everything they needed to build the world entirely differently. Just as he deposits that still to this day on all of us who have accepted him as our Lord and Savior in our hearts. God is indivisible. If Jesus is in your heart, then the Holy Spirit is in your heart. He may not be president, but he's resident. And so here's our task to discover what he has put in each of us. When he breathed the spirit, remember spirit in Hebrew, ruach, is the same thing as breath. And remember how he created the first world. He spoke, his breath came out. And the the world took on order. When he spoke into you, There's a special order that was put in you that is irreplaceable. It's why you're still living. No one in this world can do what you can do for this world. And if he has given you that kind of gift, then it behooves each of us to discover exactly what he put in me that I'm supposed to give to the world. What is irreplaceable? Now here's the catch, as I told you on Easter. You cannot do that by yourself. You cannot do that by yourself. Remember where it says in John, 1 John chapter 4, the last part of verse 4, greater is he that is in you. Now we, we've been talking about he that is in us, right? But remember the you here is plural. It's, it's Greek. The southern Greek means y'all. He that is in y'all. And I'm talking about all y'all. And so, therefore, when he talks, he's not speaking to us just as individuals. He's saying, You can't discover me in you by yourself. Greater is he that is in you together. We just sang about the kingdom, didn't we? You know, when Jesus talked about the kingdom, this is what he said The kingdom of God is within you. No, wait a minute, he said the kingdom of God is among you. No, wait a minute, he said both. The Greek word means literally both. It is within you and it is among you and those cannot be divided. We have a personal responsibility to discover what is in us, but we can't do it without each other. Now here's what I wanna tell you about the church and we're gonna be talking about this for the months and years to come actually. How do you arrange relationships in such a way that you fulfill the purposes of God? First of all, you have to understand the depth of the purposes of God in your life. He did not call you when you felt called. He called you, remember the name of the church, Ecclesia. The Greek is the called out ones, ek-out, kaleo means to call. We are the called out ones. When did he call us? Before the foundations of the earth. He wasn't making plans when you were born. He was making plans before the earth ever existed. Watch this in Ephesians chapter one, verses three through five. This is what it says. Blessed be the Lord, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's a whole sermon in there but let me tell you one line. You don't need one more thing to do God's will for your life if Jesus Christ is in your heart. He's already given you every spiritual blessing. Everything you need is in there right now if you just learn to walk in its power he goes on just as he chose us all of us together in him before the foundation of the world there it is that we would be holy and blameless before him now watch this i love this verse in love as he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Could I just say just a word about predestination? And I'm not going to talk too long about it because anytime you talk too long about predestination, you get confused. But let me tell you a big mistake we make with that word. We try to take it in its denotative sense. That is, we try to define it. And we try to say we try to make it this this thing. Well, if if predestination is about my circumstance or it's about my position or it's about my place or it's about what what I'm supposed to be doing, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says He predestined us to Himself. Predestination is about a relationship. Uh, let me give you an, uh, uh, an illustration. What if I left here tonight and went home and, and usually Becky beats me home and, 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 and she, she's sitting usually at the, at the kitchen table. Somebody said last night thought I said the kissing table. It's that too. But the kitchen table and she's usually typing away and so on and so forth. What if I walked in? Just every time, you know, I leave church and just go, go home. And what if I walked in and I said, this is the weirdest thing. I can't believe you're here. What an accident. What a surprise. Now, we have an agreement. We're getting older, and we have an agreement. If one of us starts to go senile, we're gonna tell the other one. You know, with this, son, I see it. I see it happening. She would just call up, you know, our sons or her brothers or whatever, Say, so he's going. gone, uh, he off the deep end. Let me ask you this question. Why is it that you think that the people who are in your life are an accident? Why is it that you think what you're going through right now is a pure coincidence? No, let me tell you the real story. 44 years ago, I agreed that Becky would be my pre-destination. Wherever I was and whatever I was doing, when I left that, I would go straight for her. It wasn't about a circumstance. It wasn't about a place. It was about a person. We did that Ruth thing. Whether thou goest, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your, pe- your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die and be buried. We did that. And so no matter where she is, that's where I'm going. And happily so. She's my very best friend. I'd rather hang around my wife than anybody on the face of the earth. She's a good part, the good part of my identity. Now, let me ask you this. If that's true for my wife for 44 years, if she has been my predestination What about God? That's the key. It's not worrying about, are you in the right place? Are you doing the right thing? Do you have the right circumstance? I thought it would be different. Maybe there's been an accident. No, I wanna find God everywhere I look and I wanna go to him no matter where I am because he is my predestination. We have been, the Bible says, predestined to Him. This is not about a mechanical version of fatalism. That's a pagan doctrine. This is about a relationship. Our God is a relationship. He designed us for love. He designed us for intimacy. And so predestination is about a relationship. Hmm? And not only have we been chosen before the foundation of the world for a relationship with him. Watch this. He has set us up to address, watch this, not just a little group of people. See, we belong to a God who doesn't just assemble a little group of religious people. He's not just a God of Christians. He loves us, he died for us, he's glad we get it. But the Bible says, God so loved the world. He's the God of the whole world. This is what it says in Colossians. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, invisible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. Now, let me ask you this. If we are predestined to him, if we are to take on his concerns, his mind, if we are to care about what he cares about, do we confine our attention to other Christians? Do we just worry about what the church should be doing? No, because that's not who He is. He's the head of the world and head of the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have the first place in everything. And then it says in Ephesians, He has made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind attention, Uh, intention, which he purposed in him with a view to, watch this, an administration suitable to the fullness of times. Do you know what that means? you know what the word administration means? It's how something's organized. How something's organized, watch this, for every time, in every time, in every culture. He made that mystery, he's unfolding that mystery for us and through us so we need to pay attention to things that are going on in the world suitable to the end of time that is the summing up of all things in christ things in heaven and things on the earth you know we make some people nervous by the stuff we get involved in here at this church we do and i get it i understand there are a lot of people who think, ah, I don't know if we ought to be involved in that stuff. Is that really the business of the church? Let's not, ah, let's, let's, let's have another Bible study. Let's, let's parse a Greek verb. Let's drill down into the holy of holies. Let's go deep in our spiritual fo- There are three events here this month that I know a number of people will say, I don't know if we ought to be involved in that. The, 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 the event just last Thursday, we had a national speaker come down and just written a book about America's original sin. And, and, and it was about racism and slavery. And so we had a panel. So that we could have a community conversation about racism. Now is that the church's business? You bet it's the church's business. And let me tell you why. And let me tell you this is exactly the place we ought to be talking about that. Because we have had broken relationships since we broke our relationship with God. And since Adam and Eve broke their relationship with each other. Racism is rife throughout the Bible. It's a condition that, that, that is in each one of us, whether we want to admit it or not. Oh, I'm not racist, yeah. Yeah, you are, let me tell you why I know that. Because all of us carry around the burden of wanting just to be with people like we are and being afraid of people that are not like us. And this doesn't just have to do with skin pigmentation. This has to do with culture. This has to do with all kinds of differences. Does this have, does this belong in the church? Of course it does, why? Because we've specifically been given the ministry of reconciliation by the Christ, who made the two men one, who broke down the dividing wall. Where more appropriate to have this conversation than the church? Who has the moral mandate that is deeper than the doctrine that every person, no matter who they are, is made in the image of God and therefore valuable to him and to us? Where else would that conversation happen in a better place? Pastor Vernon talked about in a couple of weeks this Just Face Conference. I, I, I don't want to become too graphic, but for years we were in a relationship and, and are still in partnership with International Justice Mission, people who by the law went all over the world setting free, the slaves of sex trafficking. And it never dawned on us that it's happening all around us. We just had it in, well, that's what happens in Cambodia. That's what happens in Vietnam. That's what happens in India. That's what happens happens in Orlando. That's what happens in the United States. You know that Florida is ranked third in this nation, in sex trafficking? We have slaves among us. Young kids, most of them women, most of them girls that are being abused and exploited and literally made slaves. And some people say, well, that's ah We're better to have that conversation in the church. The one who said, my job is to set the captives free. That was Jesus, by the way. When he got up and read his job description from Isaiah in the synagogue that day, and to set at liberty those who are bruised, where more appropriate to have this conversation and to wake up to the fact that this is happening all around us. But not only that, the world needs us. We sent out two representatives because we've been working with the Metropolitan Bureau of Investigation in Orlando. After they free these girls, they can give them freedom, but then what? Many of them can't go back to their families. They've been so abused and so victimized that they think the life they had is normal. That's the only life they know. How are they gonna be refamilied? How are they gonna find people who will treat them with respect and teach them how valuable they are and what a gift they are to the whole world? See, there's no specialty organization. There's no legal organization Law enforcement organization that can do that. The church can do that. That's what we can do. We sent out two representatives to this national conference. Do you know those were the only two representatives from faith communities in the whole conference? And they turned to them and they said, could we have a conference at your church? Because the church is so valuable. And we said, absolutely. Come on. At the end of the month, we're gonna have a conference on gun violence, reducing, trying to see if there's a conversation where we can reduce gun violence. Now don't get all Second Amendment. We're not touching the Second Amendment. Don't be writing me stuff. I don't want your guns. Nobody wants your guns, all right? This is not about that. But PBS, the public broadcasting system, the PBS, has contacted us and said, could we have this conversation just to see if there's even a conversation to be had to try to reduce the incidence of gun violence that keeps taking innocent lives. Now, why would they have that in the church? Because this is exact, you can't have that conversation in a political forum. It, get lo- it gets lost immediately in politicization and polarization. You can't have it in a p- political forum. The church is the one that has the forum that says, why don't we do what's right? Why don't we protect the most vulnerable? Can't we just have a reasonable discussion about this? Do we have to keep going to the extremes every time open, somebody opens their mouth? You make them an enemy and you try to paint them as the... No. The reason we do what we do is because we worship a God who is the God of the whole world. And he wants his values in every conversation that's going on. Every conversation that's going on. So let's go from that big picture back to you. Back to all y'all, which includes each of us. I want you to see something in one of our favorite verses in the whole Bible. In Romans chapter 8, it begins with verse 28. It says this. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Could I just say this, just, this is just incidental, this is not the lesson. Please don't use this as a platitude, a religious platitude to cut off the suffering of somebody. First of all, quote it right, it doesn't say God causes all things to work for good it says God causes all things to work to good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose the Greek word here good is agathon it's related to the Hebrew word toth. remember toth. Toth isn't just a good or a comfortable term it's not a term just a beauty it's a term of utility that is it works according to a purpose when God made the world and stepped back and said, oh, it's good, it's tove. It's working just like I pictured it. That's the word good here. And so let's not just let this flip off a, of, you know, somebody's suffering, don't, do, don't go up to them and just say, well, God works all things together for good. That's cruel. That has just discounted their pain. That is just somehow said, there's a shortcut out of this pain. There's not, (laughs) I'll tell you there's not. There's no shortcut to grief. Grief is grief and pain is pain. But there is, there is a hope and a power to know that God can cause it to work for even greater good than the pain caused evil. There's hope there. God doesn't try to protect us from all pain. He doesn't try to shortcut our discomfort. I heard somebody ask once, where was God when my son died? And the answer came back, he was in exactly the same place as when his son died. God doesn't avoid pain, but he uses pain. There's a purpose. And the purpose continues like this. For those whom he foreknew how long did he foreknow him? From the beginning of time, from before the, beginning of the, before the foundation of the world. He also predestined, there it is, to become conformed to the image of his son, predestined in that relationship. No matter what we're going through, God means it to shape us more like Jesus. That's, that's the, short, the short explanation of the purpose. So that he would be firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. There's the word of the church, Kaleo. He called, were the called ones. And these whom he called, he also justified, that is, saved them. Justified is the, is the theological term for saved. It's justified, never sinned. That's what happens when you get saved. You're washed free of all your sins. It's justified, never sinned. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. I'll explain that term to you. at some subsequent sermon. And what should, then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? God has put a deposit in each one of us. And then he has arranged a way for that spirit to circulate among us to where our particular gifts are poured out. And let me tell you what that way is. Let me tell you the use of the church. Do you remember when God created the church, how he did it? You know, we often sing, man, I wish we'd have the Holy Spirit fire just come down. You know, I hear people say this all the time. I wish, I wish the Holy Spirit fire would just fall on the church. Just revive the church. Well, let me ask you a question. And this is a serious question. Are you willing to do what they did the first time when the Holy Spirit fire fell on the church. Do you remember what that was? Acts chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now, let me paint this scene for you. 120 people and they're praying. But they're not just praying their own prayers. This word altogether, homothumadon, means they were all of the same mind. Some of your versions say in one accord. Now, let me ask you a question. This, is, this, this isn't a rhetorical question. It's a real question. How do you get 120 people praying in one accord? And here's the answer. They can't be praying about their own stuff. If you have everybody praying about their own lives, you haven't got one accord, you've got 120 accords. They've got to be so together in their prayer that their concern is as much for their neighbor as it is for themselves. As a matter of fact, they care as much that the Lord would come to their neighbor as the Lord would come into their own life. And when they're all praying, God come to us, because all of us need you. That's when the stage is set for the Holy Spirit to fall. I want you to see when in the development of the church, you can check this out in your own time this week. Go back and read these 13 verses. And there's an intersperse of each and every, uh, each and all, each and all, each and all. The one in the crowd. In, In Acts chapter two, verse six, this is what it says. And when this sound occurred, Some of you have been in a tornado, you know wind makes a sound. It was the rush of a mighty wind. Remember what wind is, it's it's spirit. The crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So there was a crowd and there was a personal aspect to it. The kingdom of God is among you, the kingdom of God is within you. Do you remember that part? So what do we do to have have to find out what those gifts are? To see those gifts manifested? We've gotta go from, C.S. Lewis said this, everyone is born with a needs-based love. You know what that is? You ever seen a baby? Who does a baby think about? himself feed me Change me Hold me Watch me Some people never grow out of that stage Some people go their whole life with a needs-based love It's not bad. God wants us to need him. It's okay to need people. It's okay to need God as a matter of fact, it's good But it's not mature our love really isn't mature until we care more about someone else than we care about ourselves. That's a gift-based love, that's a giving-based love. God so loved, he gave. Jesus emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew ten eight. Freely you have received, freely give. You know when the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive? It's not just wanting your money. It's telling you, do you wanna know how rich you are? You'll never know as long as you want more money. You'll never know until you learn what it is to give hilariously. To give people what you thought you needed You will be poor in your brain your whole life if all you're doing is trying to gather up enough money to pay your bills. I want to show you the blessing of what it is to have enough. Not in the amount, but in the head. (laughs) Same thing is true with spiritual giftedness. What's the only way you will ever feel blessed and spiritually a blessing? To give it out, to work it out, to be among people, watch this, who need what you have. Now watch this, this this is important. And you need what they have. You need what they have so badly that you're trying to name it in them so that they can bless you and bless others. See, this is the way God has arranged us. This is why he calls us together. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Starting with verse seven, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's each in, in the crowd again. Each and all, each and all, each and all. Your gifts weren't given to you for you. And so therefore, they will never be discovered by you. They will be discovered when you use them for the benefits of others, for the common good. And the same thing is true for those around you. It goes on to say, and God has placed the members. The relationships you have aren't accidental. This word placed means arranged. This is a setup job. Your life is a setup job. Each one of them in the body, each, all, just as He desired. <laughs> He's got you exactly where you want. Your life is not an accident. He's got you exactly where you want. He wants you for the next stage, for the next step. So let me me close with this, and I I want you to come back because this is gonna take a while teaching. But here's the good news, and then I got some bad news for you, just to bring you back. Good news is, You are so near to the kingdom of God. You have never been in a better position to learn why you were made like you were, why you've been through what you have and what you have yet to do in this life. You are right on the edge. And I want you to keep coming back because we're gonna be that church where you finally recognize why God has you on this earth. And even more, why he has the person next to you on this earth. That's the good news. Now here's the bad news. What if you don't? Does that mean you're not saved? No. Does that mean you won't go to heaven? No. It just means that when you come to the end of the, your life, they will always be A sense of dissatisfaction. I wonder what that was all about. I did some good things, some good. I I, I did some things good. I did some things bad. But I wonder if I really fulfilled my purpose. You'll never know when God wants you to know. And even more than the personal dissatisfaction will be the embarrassment that comes from not knowing why God made the person next to you and put them in your life. That's embarrassing. I got a closing story for you here. It's about a real person, Dr. Wellington Koo. That wasn't, that's his English, that's not his Chinese name, that's his English name. Lots of times Chinese people will give themselves English names to to, uh, um, help us remember. and uh, but this is one of the most brilliant diplomats and scholars ever to live and there's a story that's always followed him the story comes in different forms i heard it in, in in the form i'm about to tell you but it's just one of the most fun stories and i haven't told this for 25 years i love telling this story but as i said dr wellington Koo was one of the most preeminent scholars and international diplomats Matter of fact, he died the year I came to Northland. He he died in November of 1985. He was 97 years old when he died. I just heard tonight that his widow works at Disney. Sorry? She used to work at Disney. So anyhow, uh, but this story, let me tell it to you. He, one of his PhDs was from Columbia University in International Justice and uh, International Diplomacy and Law. But uh, he was traveling in the country one time and this, and this uh, president of this university heard that he was gonna be coming through town on, en route to some place. And he thought, what an opportunity for the students of my university to hear this brilliant man. And, 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 and he was already nearing the town, and so there wasn't any time, he just, he just knew a person who knew a person who knew Dr. Koo, and finally they asked him, and Dr. Koo was very humble, and said, yeah, I, I think I can work that in. And so that day, he calls an assembly of the student body or the, 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 the couple, the, the, in those couple days. None of them knows who's speaking. But he said, "I want everybody to assemble in the auditorium, and we'll call out the, the cafeteria people, and we'll have dinner that night. You know, soup to nuts. You know, we're gonna. I, mean, I want you to hear this brilliant man. Well, that night, Doctor Ku walks in, and they had all of the auditorium set up. None of the students were in there yet." And they led him to the stage area. And of course, they had a table in the D.S., and he was right in the middle. He was the honored guest, but Dr. Ku was a very humble person. And he, and he said, I, I feel very uncomfortable sitting up here with people looking at me. Could I just go down and sit at one of the student tables? And the president of the university said, well, you're, you're the honored guest. You do whatever, whatever pleases you. So he just went down and sat at one of the tables. And then they open the doors and all these students come flooding in. They have no idea who's talking, but it's a free meal. You remember what college was like? You know, it's a free meal, you show up. Because we were all dead broke in college. And this is years ago. Well, all the students come in, nobody wants to go down and sit little, the by the little Chinese guy. You know, it's like, we've got our own friends. And so every table fills up except that one. Well, it just so happened that night that a fraternity had had a meeting that had run late. And so they ran to the thing. They still had their, back in that day, they had blazers with the fraternity symbol on it. And they come into the room and that's the only table that's available. So they go down to the table. They have no idea why the little Chinese guy is at the table. So they just sit down. And they just keep talking to each other. They're all wrapped up in their own worlds, you know. And they're kind of bragging, and what'd you get on this test, and who are you taking on, you know, all this kind of stuff. Finally, the president of the, of the fraternity, who was sitting right beside this little Chinese person, kind of felt bad that he hadn't said anything. So he turns to him, and Dr. Koo is eating soup, and he turns to him and, and he said, "Likey soupy?" <laughs> and Dr. Koo just smiled and nodded. Well, then the president of the university gets up and he begins to introduce this eminent guest. And he says, and I'll just, these are, these are very real facts, that Dr. Ku was one of the founders of the League of Nations, which later became the United Nations. That Dr. Ku was 10 years a judge on the international Court of Justice in The Hague, that Dr. Ku was both, for a brief period of time, both the premier and the the president of the Republic of China. And he was one of the most preeminent scholars in the world. And so Dr. Ku, would you come and grace us with a lecture? Imagine the embarrassment of this fraternity president when this little Chinese guy gets up, goes to the stage and delivers one of the most articulate, brilliant, insightful speeches on Sino-Soviet relations that anybody had ever heard in impeccable English. When he was done, the entire room stands to its feet with thunderous, wild applause, including the fraternity guys. Dr. Ku is too humble to stand there and take it all in, so he just kind of bows out and goes back to his place beside this now mortified president of the fraternity. He was applauding the president was of the fraternity and kind of looking down and Dr. Koo looked up and he just couldn't resist. He looked at him and said, likey speechy? (laughs) Someday we're gonna be embarrassed if we don't know who's beside us. God has surrounded you with the most gifted, loving, brilliant people. And he expects us to get to know who they are and to call out of them those gifts for the entire world. So keep coming back, because that's what we're gonna do. Everybody stand up for the benediction. Thanks for the five extra minutes here. And, 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 and before I give the benediction, let me remind you, as Pastor Vernon discussed, in the Hub tonight, there are Stephen's ministers. Stephen's ministers are not uh, professional therapy counselors. They're, they're people who walk with you through a season of difficulty. And some of you are going through a real season of difficulty right now. And you don't need therapy. You just need somebody to listen. These people have been trained to listen and to be helpful and to be loving. And so please if you need that kind of friend that's what we got if you do need prayer just prayer we got a prayer team up front at the end Um, and and those of you online we got a prayer minister called Nathan Clark who'd love to pray with you but let's go from this place tonight in the name of God the Father and of God the Son and of God the Holy Spirit let's remember two things he's planted in me spiritual gifts that are irreplaceable. And it behooves me to find out what those are and use them. And second, the way I do that is to look to someone else and name their spiritual gifts, name their gifts that the whole world needs. And by identifying them, I'll find out about me. Come back next week, we'll talk about it again, amen.